Welcome to Careers in Your Ears, the careers podcast for PhD students and research staff at King's College London. I'm Donald Lush. I'm one of the specialist careers consultants for researchers here at King's. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Bahija Raimi Abraham, head of the Raimi Abraham Research Group here at King's. Welcome, Bahija. Thanks for joining us. Um, can I start by asking you to tell us a bit about your current role? Thank you so much, Donald. Um, really excited to be on the Careers podcast and also just an opportunity to talk about, I, yeah, talk about my career, all things academia and anything else that comes up, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my current role. So I'm a lecturer in pharmaceutics at King's College London within the School of Cancer and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Um, as you mentioned, I so I joined King's as a lecturer 2017 and I've built February 2017 um, and I have my research group, which is called the Raimi Abraham Group. Um, and yeah, we consist of two PhD researchers, one um, associate member who's a teaching fellow and a visiting researcher, um, visiting research assistant, sorry. And um, the work in the group to date has really been in the area of like pharmaceutics, so pharmaceutical materials and innovative manufacture. Um, and then more recently, I've been focusing uh, my research efforts into the therapeutic and drug development aspect of malaria. Um, so that's sort of the main, my main uh, role and, and, and activities at King's. Um, and then in March of this year, 2020, I started um, the King's College London Fight the Fakes campaign. Um, and this is essentially a campaign that focuses on increasing awareness, advocacy, as well as we, we do some, um, we have some activities and, and actionable um sorry, actionable output, sorry if that, if that makes sense, for um, the campaign, where our focus is to raise awareness of the impact of um, falsified, substandard, unregulated and licensed medicines globally, with a particular uh, focus on anti-infectives, more specifically anti-malarials and antibiotics. Um, and also, as part, I'm just trying to make sure I cover everything with my role. I'm, I hope I'm sort of going into it. Um, and yep. then lastly, obviously, as part of my role, I do, uh, I lecture. So I lecture um, within the, what we call the M-Farm programme. So that's the pharmacy programme. And I mainly uh, teach um, a module around drug development. So that's for the undergraduates. So drug development, the considerations into making medicines. And yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> it sounds like a lot. So um, how about your career history? Did you always want to do what you're doing now? No, um, <laughs> simple, <laughs> simple as a no, I didn't. Um, I think, so, okay, the career history, I have always been interested in science um, in a very broad sense, but I was also very interested in art and um, drama. And I actually wanted to be an actress. Um, and then uh, my mum was like, okay, that sounds great. Um, but why don't you maybe just do like a degree or something first so you have something to fall back on? Um, which makes me question if, you know, she thought my acting skills weren't great at 11. But um, no. I then, <laughs> um, then um, decided, OK, so you know, discussion decided to go for pharmacy. Um, because I had an auntie who was a pharmacist and I liked her <laughs> and she seemed happy. Um, but also uh, with pharmacy, there were a couple of things that I liked. I liked the chemistry element um, in the learning and then also the um, fact that you could be your own boss afterwards. Um, and uh, starting when I started pharmacy and the degree, I enjoyed it. Um, but then I 
sort of wanted I, I I went through a variety of different challenges that I think a lot of people go through when they start university and one of them was just motivation really and so I ended up challenging myself to aim to do a PhD there's a bit of a backstory to that but I challenged myself to do a PhD I'm sorry work towards a PhD as like the highest form of education to compete with myself so that I would just get through the degree um, and it wasn't my intention to do a PhD um, but then when I learned that okay in my final year we had a research project and I, was, I learned that okay research was this ability to be creative in science because I'd been creative in other aspects of my life I used to write poetry and things like that and I just didn't realize you could be creative and imaginative in science and as you think it you can develop it so that's how I ended up doing a PhD um, and again even then it wasn't a matter of I'm now going to become an academic each each um, my career journey has been such that I reflect on each stage um, and so I think now looking back at my career which has involved me yes being in academia I've also been on secondment at the European, European Medicines Agency which is a regulatory environment I've um, started a social enterprise and quite interested in the entrepreneurial aspects of things I think now who I am and where I am in my career I'm happy with it but I don't think I would have got there if it wasn't for constant reflection at each stage um, and I did get to explore the acting side a little bit by being um, an extra in Skyfall many years ago um, but I haven't actually pursued any more acting since then and I had planned to do that in 2020 but we know how that went <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah I'm, I'm we could call the podcast from acting to academia um, oh I, I mean I like that but I yeah. that also assumes that I'm a great actress and I really did do some acting <laughs> like I did some but yeah I think that's a good title yeah <laughs> yeah I know we, we, we use that so um you spoke a bit about this the the, mm. the kind of challenges and you've talked about you know you're competitive with yourself and mm. you're reflective what would you say was kind of the biggest challenge and how have you overcome um that challenge uh, so far yeah that's such a good question because i think depending on there are many challenges <laughs> um yeah. that you know you as you can imagine and and many challenges and also how you tend to overcome them is also dependent on the, your strength in that particular moment. Mm. Um, I would say, okay, one challenge that I think can resonate with everyone and it's definitely something is it's like the, the challenge of self, like self-confidence um, and how that relates to um, your environment as well. So you talked about the competitive nature of things and it's very easy to look at what other people are doing and you know imposter syndrome is just the the, the yeah. phrase that is talked a lot um and especially in academia but i think it is in every sort of sector um and i would say one of the biggest challenges has been overcoming self-doubt um low self-esteem and you know low self-confidence and things like that um that actually can be caused not just by oneself but also external factors as well um and I would say and I'm saying it in a very broad sense and you know feel free to like if you want me to go into anything a little bit more detail yeah. um but I would say in a broader sense how I've been able to kind of overcome those challenges of self that as I mentioned sometimes are um, self-inflicting but also as a result of external factors and um, which I'm happy to go into a little bit further I do think 
making sure having a good support network, making sure you kind of write down. I'm, I'm a big believer in if you doubt where, if you doubt um, yourself and you think, oh, I'm not meant to be in this space or I, I don't have the credentials. I'm a firm believer in just writing down in, you know, pen to paper, what your achievements are, your skill set and your credentials as a reminder to say, well, you're not here by chance. You're not here because you can do it. You're here because these are the things you've achieved to get you to this point. And actually, when I started my lectureship, that was a big thing that I had to do because it was so intimidating. Um, starting a, a lectureship, being um, relatively young, <laughs> like a young person in, in the department, all the different intersectionality considerations as well. Um, you hear all these different statistics about the challenges for women in academia, the challenges for black women in academia and black people in general. So there's just a lot, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and I think when I if I use the example of starting my lectureship and that real sort of am I meant to be here? Um, can I do this? You know, oh, people are doubting me already. I'm doubting myself and things like that. Um, mm. And and I really um, just started, as I said, writing things down and just saying, right, I've achieved this within this KPI. I looked at the King's um, KPIs, key performance indicators as it relates to academics on probation and academics um, off probation and senior lecturer. And I would write, OK, have I published any papers? Have I done this? I've done that. And that so I did that for a, a solid year <laughs> where I was right. just writing things like every it started off every week, perhaps in a slightly obsessive manner. And then um, I did it once a month and mm. um, I would write down, OK, what have I achieved within? Uh, so just to explain, sorry, the key performance indicators roughly. Yeah, they are um, put into uh, research. So what you're doing within research in terms of outputs and papers and esteem, education, like your teaching and things like that. And then there's um, um, knowledge dissemination activities, managerial things. And so what I would just do is write what I felt I'd achieved within those um, those uh, right. uh, what's it called topics. And then um, I did that for a solid year and I'd looked back up. So I reflected a year later and I was like, oh, I have actually done things right you know I've achieved in the last year and from that that I realized that I it took me a year to um acknowledge to myself my achievements and 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 tell myself that I deserve to be there this is quite you know in depth and yeah. then I realized that well now that I've understood my own worth and and place in this system I need to let everybody else know so I th then decided decided from what I had noted down I would use that to uh, apply for like just try and put myself forward for an award um and yeah used all of that to um try and get my you know just get some recognition in an external sense because I felt that I needed that and um I was lucky that I I did um win an award for outstanding women in STEM it was a precious award thing so um yeah I think really yeah, I think that's sort of yeah. I think I hope that sort of explains it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that, that that's very clear. It's, um, sometimes when I'm working with people, I'll get them to write their CV for exactly that mm -hmm. reason. You know, yeah. so it's, it's it's seeing the evidence. You know that you you can't actually deny that you you know you have got this job. You did win that award. 
um, yes. it, it has to change your point of view. That's a really interesting technique. It's, it's not one I've, I've kind of come across before. Mm. So this is very linked with, with what you were just saying, really, because, um, you know, the, that imposter syndrome thing is where you kind of take things on yourself and internalise them quite a lot. Um, and, and some of the stuff that goes on in academic life is about what other people do. So when, when we were planning this episode, we talked a lot about power. So what's your take on a, um, you know, a quite still, I think, authoritarian, hierarchical and, and competitive profession and you know how power functions within that? Oh, such a loaded question, Donald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, how does one unpack this? Uh, power yeah. dynamics in academia. I mean, maybe I should write a book on this because mm. they're so it's so complicated. Um, it's interesting. It's complicated when you have to to have to articulate it um but those in the know in as it were when you sort of explain to them different things they're like oh yeah that's true um okay i'm trying to think of how to break this down so i would say that being in an academic environment so obviously as you know academia um they're people that different um professions you've got the professional services you've got things like that so i'm just going to focus on my experience which is the academic so dealing with a sea a body of people many different people that all are highly intelligent right but if you're going to use getting a phd as a marker of intelligence which again is another debate um but you're surrounded by high achievers let's put it that way uh people who've achieved a lot of different you know a lot of successes before just getting to the point of being in academia then on top of that we have this, I talked a a little bit earlier about the key performance indicators. So um, I think in order to understand the power dynamics, I probably need to give a little bit of an explanation about just what you need to do as an academic. So as an academic, and and bearing in mind, there are two different types of academics. So there are academics that are focused purely on their research, um, which you tend to get a lot of at um, an an institute such as King's. Um, And then you have academics in who are in institutes where the focus is primarily on the teaching as a as a priority and then they have less time for their research which is um, I can't get necessarily give an example so at let's as an institute such as King's where we're very research focused and high quality research intensive um, you are expected to you know publish your papers and the key the KPIs you know they're different metrics so you have this um, and what publication really is is disseminating your research findings right so you've got to show that you're being active in whatever area you've got to publish um, and then you also need to secure grant funding so you need to secure money and I think it's important for people to understand that academia is not just lecturing I think a lot of people think that oh, when you're in academia, all you do is teach. No, (laughs) you you have the research. And there's power dynamics even in the teaching. But when it comes to um, the research side of things, you are evaluated by those output successes, so publications, but primarily also how much money you can bring in. And what this can, and you know, what this can result in, and this is commonly discussed, which is people progressing, perhaps because of, their output you know being able to secure funding but not necessarily because 
they are nice people <laughs> or I mean do you need to be nice to progress that's another you know ethical yeah. debate conversation but um, maybe not necessarily because of the other in a you know maybe they've done like um had managerial training let's say and that's progresses them up to another level in academia you progress for many reasons but primarily also because of how you're able to secure funding and things like that yeah. and what that ends up doing is that when you start i think in in effect because there's still these different levels that you have to go through by way of your job title so lecturer senior lecturer reader professor and so forth it means that you are it's still like dare i say can i say that it's still like being in school where yeah. you're going through you know year seven year eight year nine yeah. and if you think about in high school secondary school um in my school we called it lower four lower five and stuff but it's yeah. essentially it's, it's the same if you're in year seven and somebody in year 11 tells you to do something you're like oh okay fine I'll do it <laughs> right because they're in a year above and it, you can have that same struggle um in academia where and and it's a it is a big thing I actually discussed it um on my own podcast as well about you know the mental health impact of of academia and bullying and harassment unfortunately is something that is still you know till this day uh, a big big issue because of these power dynamics and maybe also because people in the position of power and that can be on a bigger level like senior management but it can also be the dynamics between um, a group leader and a PhD researcher and perhaps the group leader you know not necessarily acknowledging their power in their words or actions over their PhD researcher or postdoc and therefore creating an environment that can be quite hostile and negative um, so there are different layers to it and it can I think the power dynamics will always exist in academia I think what we probably need to focus on and I and I believe we are trying to do this um, a bit more but I, I do think there needs to be more work in this area is in particular the bullying and harassment that comes with acad just the academic environment and I, I I'm very um dare I say I can sometimes be a bit cautious talking about this because uh, academia I think gets a lot of bad rep um yeah. about how bad the environment is yeah, of course, and, it, yeah. and it always you know I always feel a little bit um, um maybe it's slightly uncomfortable when I'm having these discussions and then I always feel people are saying so why are you still in there if it's so bad it, yeah. it it's not it's not this is a blanket statement it's not everywhere that has these yeah. Um, it has everything like this in a bad way, but they're very varied degrees of bullying, har harassment, and then also sort of maybe nondescript experiences where it is based on somebody trying to pull rank because they're a professor or something. And you're like, but I'm just I've just started, you know, um, yeah. and and I think it's just it, it is something that needs to be improved. Um, because it pushes people away. And I think just going back, if I could just comment before I, I, I end on this about the competitive nature of the environment, um, a lot of people struggle with that in academia, even just when they do a PhD or even doing the masters, the you're surrounded by people who are high achieving. So you can feel very, very um, intimidated by the competition. And especially when you are at an institute, for example, such as King's where, you know, you, you're striving for excellence as it were yeah. it can be very daunting and I think when people ask me how I cope with it I will say that for me because I don't compete with other people so maybe I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but I just compete with myself um, right. 
And so I don't, and this is one of the things because I um, sat in on a careers event recently where somebody commented on one of the things they struggled with in their PhD was the competitiveness within the research group and the environment they were in. And I, I was like, oh, wow, I couldn't really relate because I've just never been competitive with other people. But I also think that stems from the culture that is created in that group, right? So for me, as a group leader, I strive to try and diminish that issue with the power dynamics, as we mentioned. So uh, there's this saying, the fish rots at the head, which basically yeah. says that as a leader, if you don't take responsibility, if you don't behave in a certain way, then it's going to trickle down to your group in a very, in a, if I can apply it this way. And yeah. so for me, I think creating a research environment in my own, what I can control, my own research group, where hopefully that issue of the power dynamics isn't isn't there you know and we all respect each other we have our values and stuff in the group that we all abide to which is basically based on respect and and good communication i hope that in my own way i'm trying to combat those issues of power dynamics yeah and i mean that sounds like a reason to stay because you can change it yes yeah and i, I think that's where i wish a lot of people um considered staying because a lot of people do leave after doing their PhDs because they may have ha they may have expected a PhD to be one thing and it's not just as a tip to the listeners don't do a PhD if you think that you need to do something to qualify your intelligence a lot of people do that where they'll start they'll do a PhD because they think oh I'm super intelligent so I'm just going to do a PhD because it's going to be it's going to let everybody know how intelligent I am. <laughs> that's not yeah. how it works. And that's where I think, I'm not saying that all the people who leave academia, that's their output, but I do I do see that a lot. And um, I do wish people, you know, even me, after I finished my PhD, I was like, well, that's it. Bye, everyone. <laughs> yeah, right. and, yeah, I was like, well, I'm done. Um, and I took some time out to be bored, to understand what I wanted to do. And I thought, mm, okay, I'll come back. And I'm glad that I came back um, and I did my postdoc but again after my postdoc I was like well that's it bye everyone <laughs> um, yeah so been, yeah it's been a challenge but I, I think what where I've where why I'm glad to have returned is because I have tried to and I'm trying to effect some level of change and I do I do think that a lot of people who leave academia it because they would have had such a bad experience and, and I all more kudos to them but I think because they leave which I do think for some people it is right for them, but then they don't come back. So they only have that negative yeah. experience and they don't then come back to have an experience that changes that. But then also there are people who come back and it, it's worse. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I wish there was more, to be honest, I maybe actually just thinking about it, maybe the other challenge as well is that maybe the change isn't happening quick enough. Um, you know, maybe these conversations that we're having about academic mental health, bullying and harassment, the, the, the negative impacts of the power dynamics, maybe we're not having, the change is not happening enough on a wide enough scale. Yeah. And so um, that's where the frustration comes in because it feels like if you're comparing the movement of other sectors and other environments, things are progressing quickly, but in, in an academic environment, it's not in comparison. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, I mean, I, this kind of brings me to um, thinking about, you know, someone who's doing a PhD who's listening to this at the moment, maybe coming up to the end. Um, and you've talked a lot about the kind of mindset that could really help you thrive and, and, and do it differently. W would you have one other tip for somebody who's thinking about pursuing a research career at the moment? 
Yeah, I think just in a, in a broader sense, don't limit yourself. So I know I've talked a lot about, you know, academia is good, but I don't necessarily advocate for everybody to come into academia. I don't think that's yeah. healthy. <laughs> I right. think you have to. Right yeah. No, it's not right for everyone. And also you need to be in an environment where you can thrive. Um, and but also you need to. Um, so I think for so as you mentioned, if somebody's coming to the end of their PhD and they're not quite sure, do I want to stay in academia? Do I want to, um, you know, go into industry or go pursue non-academic careers? They should firstly understand that their experience in their PhD is not representative of their experience when they would be a bit more independent. If you remember that a PhD is you're working towards something, it's a higher degree um, and you the level of independence that you have is very different compared to when you finish, yeah. right? And that also adds to the frustration. It, not to, when you're doing a PhD, if let's say you're in your second year and everything's going bad um, and you're hating the experience and so forth, if you decide to quit, where the anxiety comes in is you have nothing to fall back on. Yes, you can say maybe you have your MPhil if you've gone through your transfer fiver, but I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't really have anything to fall back on. And that's where the frustration comes in. So that the last hurdle of the PhD is very challenging because you're just, you just want to be over with it. You just want to get it done. Yeah. And then that frustration can be the frustration against the research. But again, the career side of things, I don't think in your PhD, you actually get to truly understand what an academic career is um, and what it entails. So I would suggest that if somebody is thinking, okay, I, I guess the way to put it is, okay, I've enjoyed doing my PhD, but I still have a desire to do some more research, but I'm not necessarily sure what that is, but I know that I'd like to do a bit more research, then I do think that they could consider maybe uh, a postdoc, in even in the same group or a different environment or a different topic just to get them it's a different feeling when you're conducting research and you're not working towards a degree you're just doing it because it's a job it's a very different experience versus when you're doing your PhD where it's all consuming it starts and ends with you you know it's a different yeah. experience um so, so change yeah. yeah definitely so I would say that somebody who's coming towards the end of their PhD they should and and there's some people who are straight up like I don't you know I I have a mm. PhD researcher who has told me from the start that he doesn't want to he wants to pursue um he doesn't want to pursue an academic career and I'm like yeah that's fine you know mm. please let's figure out how we can support you to get all the experiences that you need elsewhere so there are some people that want yeah. to you know straight away just leave academia um but I would say the first thing is understanding your CV and your transferable skills and understanding what the skills are that you have gained from your PhD that would help you regardless of the sector. You know, so that's where liaising with, you know, careers office and, and having those discussions, because discussions about your options makes you understand what else you want to do. Right. Yeah. Um, if you have going back to the point of if you have a desire to still be creative and innovative in uh, science in research or not just science if you know other sec other fields then I do think doing a short postdoc can be quite good regardless of whether you just a person decides to go leave academia or not but I think doing a postdoc for some people I did a postdoc my first postdoc was one year and I because remember as I said after my PhD I was very much okay bye everyone I'll see you later <laughs> yeah. and then I decided okay fine I'll do a postdoc I was offered a one-year postdoc 
And I was like, sure, let's see what happens. And actually that postdoc for me made me realize my interest, it, it helped me realize further my interest in entrepreneurial activities um, and developing my own research agenda. Um, I know people who've from their postdoc, they've used that as an opportunity to engage more with um, industry and use that as a gateway to get into the industry. And also bear in mind, you can do a postdoc in industry as well. Um, So uh, yeah, just to conclude, I would say if they're they're thinking about pursuing a research career, it's definitely good to don't worry about not knowing what you're interested in, that will come. Um, But if you still have that passion to explore, there's unexplored areas, yeah. just you you know in general not necessarily even the topic you just still have that passion to explore then i would say start off with um thinking about where you'd want to do it if you want to stay in the uk if you want to explore going abroad um and then think about even if you want to stay within the uk if you want to stay within the group you're in or go to another group start making those connections and contacts um and use that to just propel yourself into a different space if you want. Like I've moved from different sectors, <laughs> different yeah. topics um, yeah. uh, through there. Does that does that sort of explain it? That may, yes, makes total sense to me. I, I, it's something that I would often say to, to someone who's asking my advice as well. So let's think about you and your your, your kind of journey. You you now manage people and and you know run a uh, run an operation. You know <laughs> a big project. And what's it been like moving to that side of the table where you now have power? Um, and has it changed the way that you think about yourself and how you relate to people? Oh, yes. Um, it's been interesting. So firstly, in preparation for one of the issues I have, uh, I, well, I, I, yeah, that irritates me a, a bit in academia, and if I can make a bit of a general statement, is yeah. I don't feel that uh, people, when they're about to enter those leadership roles where they do have more power and power over people, I don't feel they go through enough training, yeah. leadership and management training. And I actually think that should be a compulsory course for mm-hmm. um, people, just new academics, new academics, because it's very important to understand your leadership style. It's very yeah. important to understand how your leadership and management style, you may be okay with it, but actually it may have a ne- negative impact on the people that you're leading and managing. Um, so one of the first things I did was that I um, did uh, went on a leadership and management training course. Um, it was just a one day uh, course that was offered by Kings, but it, it was amazing. And I used that and I did do a lot of reading around preparing myself for management. So I did um, the 16 personalities test to kind of have on paper an understanding of my strengths and weaknesses, even though I knew them. <laughs> but at right. least I can in my team, I can say, right, this is apparently what my personality type is. This is what I agree with in terms of um, right. uh, certain traits that could affect my managerial style or might just be something to note. And um, so with that, I realized that it's important for my team to understand me, but for me to understand my team and then for them to all understand each other. (laughs) And I wouldn't have thought about that in such a way and known how to implement it if I hadn't undergone some form of training. Um, So I think it's so essential that if you are going to manage people, and I really wish more people did this in in, in um, academia, because when we're talking about the power, power dynamics, people mm. progress up to senior management in different levels, not because they've had sufficient training to manage people, but yeah. because maybe they have other credentials that it is interpreted that they should be a good leader. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so for me, 
it was really important because I didn't necessarily I well when I look back at some of my experiences in particular during my postdoc I didn't they I don't think they were the, the best right. <laughs> if I could put it if I could put it there in, sure. in that way and I think when you experienced being managed in a way that doesn't feel nice to you if yeah. I'm trying to find the sensitive way to interpret yeah. this no, absolutely. But when yeah. you've had because uh, if you remember people what is another saying would people leave bad managers not bad jobs I think is yeah. that this so I think when you've had an experience where you've not been managed well and it's it's been challenging let's put it that way yeah you, I never would want somebody to feel about me the way I felt in that yeah. time and so that's where for me like learning about leadership learning about managing has been management has been so important yeah. and so moving to the other side from being you know I'm still obviously managed in my role yeah. but as you said moving onto the other side of the table when I'm recruiting and when I'm I'm um you know leading a team it has been a it's been a challenge but it's been a joy as well mm -hmm. um it's a constant learning process so each so just as an example um when I started out with my research group where the research group considered of n equals one me yeah. <laughs> It was easier to manage certain tasks, right? Because I'm just doing things, blah, blah. Sure. And then as I built up the group, and then that's when, so initially starting out my research group, I didn't have the values. We didn't have a mission statement or anything like that because it was just me. And I assumed that people will understand this is my way of working and this is what I would like. And then as the team grew and it became, the Rimey Abraham group is not just me, it's actually the team, it's just my, the group is a platform for everybody else. Um, then you start to realize that, okay, as much as I can engage with certain people and they may treat me in a certain way because they see me as the leader, that may not be extended to my group. And that even comes with, even just when we have, you know, undergraduate research project students that come into the group, there can be a dynamic there where they are not even just undergraduates, masters, whatever, but they might be feeling excited that their final year doing their projects. And then there can sometimes be a sort of reverse, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, reverse power dynamic where you have, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, let's say an undergrad or a master's being antagonizing to a PhD researcher because maybe I've not set the right understanding of how everybody should work. It kind of it starts and ends with me. Um, and so what I realized with being a leader was the importance of having a value statement so that when anybody comes into the group or we work with anybody, they automatically know what we stand for. Yeah. And that helps to protect not just the integrity of the group, but it protects those who work within my group. Right. So it means that if I've if we've already made it clear and the, the um, mission statement and our values we came together as a research group to define those, right? So mm. it's it's not just me, it's what sits well with, with my team. Um, that has been important because they know what we op how we are operating between ourselves, but how if anybody that we're working with and collaborating with doesn't adhere to those values, we it's just an automatic, it's not non-negotiable, non we just don't, don't work. Yeah. So I think moving to the other side has made me be um I, I've really understood the value of teamwork um yeah. and the value of making sure that everybody within the team gets visibility it's not and and because I would naturally get visibility by the fact of it's my the name right the name is there yeah. but that and I think this is where again going back to that power dynamic thing you have to be very mindful that your group isn't there 
your team isn't there to make you look good you know and I think this is where you get that a lot of issues with um uh group leader PhD postdoc dynamics where they the PhDs and uh postdocs and whoever else are feeling like they're there to make their group leader look good not at all um so I think what I made what we try and make sure is how can we make sure everybody looks good everybody gets equal visibility um yeah and I think the in terms of how it made me the change and how I think about myself and relate to people I think um I realized that it's not so important to be it's not so I don't want to say it's not so important to be a leader because that's not I don't know how to describe it it's 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 not important to always have everything like you be the one shining all the time like it's not important to always be in the spotlight right what is important is the team to be in the spotlight collectively that we all shine you know and I think that that has made it's changed how I even even in the teamwork how I work with collaborators and things like that it's not so important to say I must lead I must lead it's like well are you the right person to lead um and you know and making sure that everybody communication is so important so making sure that I know that I can allow for other people to communicate effectively and listen you know communication isn't just speaking it's the listening side of things um and I think in terms of how it this whole experience of sitting on the other side of the table I like that term um how it's made me relate to other people is really just in understanding and trying to see from early conversations how well you can work with somebody if there's compatibility there because if I if I can just give a a brief example on this actually um so without again it's always trying to like not give too much away and be respectful of other people but um there was a piece of work that I wanted to do um this was it wasn't for me it was actually something that would have been helpful for my uh, PhD researcher and um, it wasn't something that we could do in-house. It was something that we would need to collaborate with other people with. And so um, through some contacts, I was put in touch with um, an, uh, somebody, an organization, and uh, I and the, with the potential that these people could actually be able to help do the piece of work that we want to do. So it would be a good collaboration, but it would involve my PhD researcher going into that organization and being in that space. So I then wanted to go there first to scout it out and see how the people were, you know, because if my my PhD researcher would be going to an environment where I'm not there, then I need to make sure that it's a safe space for them. Yeah. Mm. So um, went and this was also in another country as well. So went to visit this place and visit the organization. And there were lots of different um, there were there were interesting um, conversations that came out of that that made me realize that actually this was not a safe collaboration right right? and um I then to the detriment of I think what we would have been able to do from the scientific side of things I had to make a decision I said I just don't think it's going to be appropriate for you to go there um and that is something that I'm quite I realized that there's an element of protection that you feel quite protective of not wanting to expose your team to environments that are going to be I'm very high I'm probably more aware now of Mm. is this going to be a safe space for my researchers to be in when I'm not there and the importance of I I do have to expose myself to things to ensure that it 
the collaboration is safe and whatnot and if it's not make that decision but obviously in conversation with them so in that situ situation I went back and I spoke to my PhD researcher I spoke about my experience and the concerns I had and I said that my my recommendation is that this is not really an ideal avenue that we should go down but let's have a conversation what do you think and then through conversation it's like we both mutually agreed that actually this doesn't work well and that's something that I definitely that's a definite change from when you are when you're you are on the other side of the table and you you have a team because they're your responsibility regardless of where they are yeah so it changes you so um, um, unfortunately we're running out of time um because I, I think you've talked about a lot of issues we could talk about at, at much more length um but i, I just i say thank you so much for your insights and and for your 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 openness and your reflection um and your tips for for career thinking and planning it's all been incredibly useful i'm sure the audience will love it um I'd just like to say to everyone listening, please join us next time on Careers in Your Ears uh, when we'll be exploring some more aspects of the careers world for researchers. But um, thank you again, Bahija. It's been absolutely great. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been great being on, on your show. Thank you.